I know I wasn't the only kid reader who loved mysteries. I gobbled up all of the classics, namely Nancy Drew and Harriet the Spy, both of which I know I've disillusioned many of you about on this very podcast. But when I discovered Sammy Keys, it was like a breath of mysterious fresh air. I remember loving the funky cover of the first book in the series, Sammy Keys and the Hotel Thief. I remember thinking that the title character was funny and familiar to me. I remember being genuinely surprised when the central mystery was solved. Basically, all of the bases were covered. I read my way through many of the additional titles in the Sammy Key series, which was written by Wendelin Van Drannen. The first book was published in 1998 and went on to win the Edgar Award in 1999 for Best Children's Mystery. This award is a pretty big deal, and it's this first book that we're focusing on in episode 51. Here's a brief overview of the mystery so you can follow along in the episode. Soon-to-be 7th grader Sammy Keys happens to witness a burglary in a room at the supposedly seedy Heavenly Hotel while she is people-watching out the window of her grandmother's apartment with a set of binoculars. Unsure what to do, she waves, as one does, and when she gets a lukewarm response from the police after sharing what she knows, she begins to take matters into her own hands. The victim of the burglary Sammy witnessed is Madame Nashira, aka Gina, a local astrologer, but it turns out that she's not the only one whose property has been taken by the thief. On the path to solve the mystery, we meet Sammy's best friend Marissa, her middle school archenemy Heather Acosta, her wise senior citizen friend Hudson, and seemingly countless other amazing characters. In this episode, you'll hear us discuss the book's overarching themes about interpersonal relationships and learning to see beyond what's on the surface. We also make a lot of pop culture references. Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Bravo Liberties, Hey Arnold, Home Alone, Joe Pesci, Point Break, Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill, The Big Short, LimeWire, Napster, and the song In the Club are all mentioned. I bet you're hooked now, right? This week's guest is Jossie Kaufman, an LA-based writer and comedian whose credits include Love It or Leave It and Adam Ruins Everything. She will talk to anyone about how the new Peter Rabbit movie was actually, intellectually, very good. You can follow Jossie for more biting room temperature takes on Twitter and Instagram at Jossie.com. Like me, Jossie had plenty of warm and fuzzy vibes associated with Sammy Keys from her own middle school days, and I'm so grateful we had the opportunity to reminisce about why we loved the series, fangirl about what we still enjoy, and to compare notes on a few elements that we think may have aged slightly less well. Then again, jury's still out on how well I'm aging, so what do I know? A big thank you goes out to all of you Patreon sponsors. Your monthly contributions really do allow the podcast to continue to thrive. If you want to be part of helping SSR to thrive, you can learn more about supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Leaving five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts also helps. Please don't underestimate the value of those. If you have a few moments, I'd love for you to share one. I read every single review, and I love learning more about what you think of the show. You can also share your thoughts and tag that you're listening via social media. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SSRpod and by searching the SSR Podcast on Facebook. I can't wait to chat with you over there. If you're not reading audiobooks on Libro.fm yet, you need to be. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. When I buy audiobooks from Libro.fm, I support my favorite Brooklyn indie, Books Are Magic. It's an amazing bookstore that also happens to be dog-friendly, so we're big fans over here. Okay, listeners, 
listeners, enough housekeeping. Although I really think you should check us out on social media and give Libro FM a try. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkasik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Jossie. Welcome to SSR. Hi, Allie. I'm so happy to be here. I'm going to link this for all of our listeners because I think they need to check it out. But Jossie has been a guest on one of my like well-documented favorite podcasts. It's Good <laughs> Christian Fun, and that's how I found Jossie. It's a hilarious episode. Everybody needs to listen to it. If you've never listened to Good Christian Fun before, don't be deceived by the name. It's hilarious, and Jossie's <laughs> episode is great. Yeah, no, I love that show so much. And we talked about um, a musical that I found on Amazon Prime like late one night that no one has seen. It was filmed in Pasadena, California. And I genuinely think it might be a masterpiece. So it's called, what is it called? Oh, it's... It's Homeschool Musical, isn't home, it? Church School Musical? It's like... It's some variation It's a high of, school musical yeah. ripoff. But somehow some of the music is really good and I'm a musical fan and I was like, okay, no, someone really put their heart and soul into this art and... And I was so happy to have an opportunity to talk about it. Right. The people need to know. More of us need yes. to be talking about it. So <laughs> listeners, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. You may know Good Christian Fun by Kevin and Caroline, the hosts who have both been guests on SSR. So maybe I'll link their episodes too. But anyway, welcome to Jossie. We are chatting about Sammy Keys and the Hotel Thief. And before we start like really <laughs> digging into the story, I'd love to know why you chose this one to discuss for your episode. Yeah, when I saw this as an option, I was pretty thrilled. This whole whole series is just like so the West Des Moines library like summers in between grade school uh we had this reading program and I was like a gigantic reader and I loved to just like truly I was like all about quantity of books Mm -hmm. in those summers and when I found the Sammy Keys books like it just really locked in for me I grew up with like two brothers and Sammy the protagonist is kind of like a tomboy and I grew up in like a divorced household so also was like non-traditional family structure and like all of these fun things and like it was like such a fun ensemble and had this like big city feel while also feeling very small and tight community within that book. Also, it's a mystery. The cool thing about Sammy is like she, I talk about her like she's a friend of mine, but I really feel like I spent so much time with her when I was a kid. But like she really talked and acted like a seventh grader to me while also just like having so much confidence that allowed her to solve mysteries. I haven't thought about her truly in over 10 years. And so it was so fun to revisit it and go back to like my current public library and check out the book. And it was just so breezy and fun. So that's that's kind of why I decided to choose it. And I, I when I got back in that world, I was like, oh my God, I remember these characters so well. The like, characters are so freaking good. That yeah. was what like 
took me like the most by surprise on this reading because I I loved this series when I was a kid and I was prepared to like be excited to read it yeah. again. But the characters are so good and I think that's probably a big part of why I liked it. Though I don't know that it was the primary reason. I just remember thinking it was like so different than anything that I'd read before and I was trying yeah. to place it like with other things that I would have been reading. So this book is one of 18. Like this is the first book in a series of 18 wow, other titles. 18. 18. And she just finished the last one. I think the last one came out in like 2013, 2014. No way. That's making me emotional. Like I feel like I abandoned my best friends and I need to go back and catch up. (laughs) Jassy, you have some work to do. I can't Um, wait. So it came out in 1998, this first one. And so I was trying to place it like I probably read it within a year or two of that. And when I was nine or 10 years old, to that point, probably a lot of what I had been reading was more classic-y kinds of books. I mean, I was into the Nancy Drews and the Harriet the Spies, but like the Westing game. I mean, a lot of other books that I've talked about on the podcast. And I was not, I mean, I liked Babysitter's Club. I liked Sweet Valley, but I wasn't like super hardcore about those until I was a little bit older. And so I think Sammy Keys probably felt like the youngest, like hippest thing that I've read. Yeah, Which was totally. like really cool as a kid. Yeah, this character just felt more like a friend of mine or even like a person I'd aspire to be more than those characters. I also really loved truly just how confident she was and how she acted and how she interacted with the world. And like, I loved that also she had friends of all ages. It reminded me of the show, Hey Arnold, which I also loved where it's like Arnold's dropped in this like place where it's like, oh, his friends are like in their fifties or maybe they're his age. And he just like kind of occupies this space because in the summers, both of my parents worked, so it kind of felt like this was almost like a, a dream fantasy of being an adolescent girl, like, out in the world, bouncing up against people. And so it was, like, it was truly, like, it's funny to call it, like, thrilling to read because the plots are, like, are, like, pretty pretty straightforward and pretty mundane sometimes and, and like, not, like, the most, like, dramatic mysteries or complicated mysteries, right. but, like, it was just, it was so, everything felt so, like, accessible to me at that age, and I, I was I was so into her, and I, like, I think that I got into the series maybe a few years after it had come out, so I also really remember that feeling of, like, finishing the first one and being like, oh, my God, and you get to the end of the book, and there's, like, Wendelin Van Dronen's sequel, it's like there's a sequel there's like, more there's, yeah it was so fun yeah oh man all of those feelings of fondness were dredged up and rereading it this time there's also an, and I don't know if you're like Gilmore Girls person at all but there are also some Stars Hollow vibes to me about oh, the community yeah. in the same way that you're talking about Hey Arnold which for some reason I don't think I was allowed to watch if my parents <laughs> could explain that to me that would be great but there were some strains of Stars Hollow just in you know the way you were mentioning like Sammy seems to kind of have like full reign of where she goes during the day and she has friends of all ages and like everybody's very receptive and open to her and she's just like I mean she's much less shy than Rory Gilmore is and is a completely different yeah she's like a completely (laughs) different character but she similar to Rory has like a confidence in her community that I totally like you know don't relate to couldn't relate to and I think in some ways it's only possible in a book because even a small town like no kid is really gonna have that kind of ownership over their community I don't think I could be wrong I loved like play acting as like a mature adult and like I was like oh like adults can relate to me and I understand their problems inherently and like and I don't think that's necessarily true but definitely seeing proof of like a character who's her conversations with Hudson and even the way like she just like communicates so openly with Graham's definitely 
it is like a Rory Gilmore if Rory Gilmore would punch like yes. Harris yeah. in the face the first episode, you know, instead of yeah. just being mad at her, which would have been a completely different series. <laughs> but, I would love to but, see that. Amy Sherman Palladino, we'd love to see it. I think Amy has it in her to write a plot where Rory punched someone in the face. It just never happened. It's like, it's my spec for like season one of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Amy Sherman Palladino coming back with the Gilmore Girls alternate universe. You never know yes. with her. It yeah. could, it could yeah. happen. I want to see an all-out brawl with the puffs or whatever, that, like, secret society. I feel like Rory could take them. If she had Paris on her side, if Paris, like, yes. was fully won over, she they could take the puffs, I think. I would read this fan fiction. I genuinely would. <laughs> like, okay, we have to jump off because Joss and I have to go write some Gilmore Girls fan fiction. Yeah, Bye. very action-based. <laughs> so when we meet Sammy at the beginning of the book, one of the things that I like the most, and you referenced this already, is that I think Wendelin Van Dran does such a good job of getting you in the headspace of a middle schooler and like right off the bat Sammy's speaking in a way that I know must feel so relatable to anybody that's ever been 12 years old the first paragraph goes like this it's not like I was trying to get into trouble and it's not like it was my fault I was stuck inside the apartment if it was anybody's fault it was Mrs. Graybill's Mrs. Graybill lives down the hall and has to be the nosiest person who ever lived it's on account of Mrs. Graybill that I was stuck inside when I wanted to be outside it's like nothing is ever your fault (laughs) no no and you're like, no, 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 just hear me out. Like, right. I can it's explain. like, well, like, I didn't want to do this, obviously. I had no choice. <laughs> My hands were tied. Let's talk about her living situation because you mentioned it briefly. But I have, and I've read a lot of middle grade and YA now, like, in the recent past. I have yeah. never read anything like what Sammy's got going on. That's exciting to hear because I was thinking about this because it felt very singular and specific. But then I was like, also... I just recently did a reread of Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's like, there are similarities between like living in the closet under the stairs and hiding in Graham's closet if anyone pokes their head into her apartment. But like, I think the difference here is that this is all rooted in love and circumstance. And like, there's also like a, it seems like in these books, there's like an economic reality of, and I also like that Sammy isn't an orphan like her mom chose to go somewhere else and her grandma had to like deal with that circumstance and take her in even though she wasn't she's like not allowed what I like is that it like it signifies that this idea of like some rules are some rules just like get broken because you're trying to care for the people you love and like it's that's so touching to me that like and I think we talked like so so briefly in an email about how Grams is like the greatest <laughs> character. I think you I referred think to her as your series. personal hero, maybe. Yes, yeah. I think when you read these books and you especially see like older women, they're in this narrow area of either like maybe like a Mrs. Graybill type character where they're just like sad and bitter and alone, or they're like almost like these perfect figures who are like like moral rule followers. And what I like about Graham's is it's, like, totally, like, Sammy in the future, this, like, very cool, very reasonable woman who's willing to, like, break rules and and just to take care of this granddaughter she loves so much and who's so special to her. I love that. Like, I think that there's a lot of protagonists, like, even thinking of, like, Holes, which you did on your your show, that's also, like, maybe a down-on-their-luck, not-ideal circumstance protagonist. But Sammy feels special because it's never even an issue or it's never up for debate whether or not she can be there 
it's just like established as the rules of her world. And then it's like, okay, now let's get onto the mystery and what's exciting about her life. I love the way you put all that. I love this idea of Graham's as like a rebel in her own way because it, it's such an interesting read of the book for listeners who haven't thought about Sammy keys in a long time. Um, (laughs) Sammy's living with her grandmother because her mom, who they refer to as lady Lana is like off trying to be a Hollywood actress, which I remember (laughs) being very taken with as a kid. Like, I loved that idea, and um, we did an episode on the Egypt game not so long ago, and there's a similar plot line in that book where one of the main characters' moms is off, like, being a B-list actress, (laughs) and I think I compared her to, like, what today would be, like, a Bravo celebrity. Like, it didn't really seem like her mom was getting anywhere. (laughs) She's trying, and maybe Lady Lana's doing better, but because Lady Lana has decided to go off and, like, be famous, Sammy has no—she has nobody to live with but— her grandmother who lives in like a senior high rise some sort of an assisted living maybe Mm -hmm. facility although like maybe in an early stage of an assisted living facility and so Sammy's just like crashing on her couch and like hiding all of her shit so that nobody knows that she's there in particular because Mrs. Graybill is like really fired up about the fact that the government (laughs) like pays for them to live there Um, which I love that little sort of like you know political wink there just a little yeah (laughs) yeah I'm like a little red state Mrs. Graybill um (laughs) so yeah Sammy's like hiding out there and Graham just kind of wants to protect her. She really doesn't want anybody to find out. But as Jossie was saying, like, she really protects the secret even when she's mad at Sammy for other things. Graham's is by no means, like, super lax in terms of, like, her parenting styles. Like, there's still a lot of rules. She really, like, gets pissed off at Sammy a couple of times. At one point, she basically, like, forces her to have a sleepover at her friend's house because she's so angry with her for breaking the rules. But... Like, when it matters, she's not afraid to bend the rules. And I think, like you said, it kind of it kind of is a good peek at maybe what Sammy could be like. And so yeah. it, looking at Graham's behavior throughout the book as an adult, I'm like, everything that she's saying and doing in terms of, like, disciplining Sammy, it's kind of, like, colored through this lens of, like, yeah, but when it really matters, I'm not afraid to do things that are yeah. wrong. Yeah. And another thing that I think is really cool, as far as, like, if young adult fiction kind of lets kids start to learn more about a world and like a safe environment just like through these stories what I really love about their relationship is that it's just all so centered around communication because I think that adults sometimes in these stories get painted as erratic or like irrational or like you can't even understand why they would be mad but like every time Grimms gets upset with Sammy it's like so centered on failure of communication mm-hmm. which is like a lesson I feel like I just learned which is like <laughs> oh like nearly all of my interpersonal issues can be solved with just like healthier and better communication <laughs> right. it's all about trust and like Sammy has so much trust from her grandmother and vice versa like they they're there to they know that they're loyal and like they want the best for each other that like when she does get in trouble, it's like, oh yeah, because you just like, you were like, it's an emergency. I have to go. And then you didn't talk to her for like five hours. <laughs> like, of course she's upset. And I think that they do like such a great job of explaining why they're upset and you see them make up and re- resolve and then get on the same page again. And I, I just think that's like so valuable of a lesson that's not super heavily underlined. And it's almost like maybe... Those are some of my favorite conflicts in these books are the ones between her and the people she loves. Like later she gets in a fight with Marissa. That that fight's like, oh, this is so seventh grade, like this like right. level of misunderstanding. But like truly, I love that we get to see them make up. Also, I think unlike other 
kids books that I've read and like movies geared at kids, TV geared at kids. When people are upset in this book, whether it's adults or tweens or whatever, it's often just because there's already been so much invested in the relationship. Like it's rare that an adult in particular is just like getting pissed off with a kid because the kid did something wrong. It's often because the adult has like, has put so much trust in the person. Obviously this exists primarily in the relationship between Grams and Sammy, but like most of the time when Grams is mad, it's because like nine times out of 10, she's let Sammy do whatever the hell she wants. So the one Mm -hmm. time that Sammy like takes it too far Grams is mad because she's like already yeah. given so much and trusted her so much. And so, and I yeah. think that's how it works in the real world. I mean, obviously yeah. there are a lot of unreasonable people, but so much of, as you mentioned, like the tension in interpersonal relationships, I think that so much of us experience, it's not arbitrary. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It's because you think that you've invested like a certain amount in your emotional bank account yeah. with somebody and then th- that person like messes with it. And that's what's hurtful. I, I was the youngest of three. So by the time I was a teenager, I definitely had a lot long leash as well. It's like, I didn't have a curfew, but I just had to say when I would be home. I had to be honest with what I was doing. It reminds me like the one time that I got in trouble, I like stayed out too late at a friend's place because they had like a fire going and I came home at like 4.30 in the morning because we were just talking and the night got away from us. And my mom came in and she was like, your pupils look wide. Are you on drugs? And I remember I was so hurt because I was like, no, like we have this trusting, like I'm not on drugs. (laughs) I, it's it's dark. That's why my pupils are white. <laughs> like, smell my clothes. It was a bonfire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like no, we're we're like 16 years old and talking about the meaning of life. <laughs> like, right. I was being really like, smart, actually, mom. Yeah, yeah. Like, I really love the idea that adults and children don't have to be antagonistic to each other. Like, they can be wanting the same things and like having like a mature and complex relationship with each other in the pursuit of those things. Yeah. Well, and the obvious spoil to that, who I think we should talk about next is officer Borsch. Oh who's yeah. The policeman, um, who's kind of like the symbol of the law in this book. And oh, I think yeah. he shows up, he shows up in like other books too. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's a recurring one, I believe. Yeah. He's kind of, he's, he's, Sammy's sort of nemesis after Heather Acosta, the girl at school who's nose she punched. And you just kind of have this idea of him as like almost cartoonish. Like he sort of reminds me in my head, he's like the um the shorter of the two burglars in Home Alone. Like that's kind of looking like Joe Pesci? Is that Yeah, is that who it is? (laughs) All right. Well, there's there goes my like pop culture knowledge. I didn't even know of him that was Joe Pesci. Yeah, I'm probably wrong. Don't at me. I think you're right. I think it is Joe Pesci. And let's cast Joe Pesci in our Sammy Keys movie yes, as Officer yeah. Borsch. That's totally how I pictured him. And I think, like, I don't want to overstate this because I think it's really easy or I found it really easy on this show to overstate things like this, but I did just want to put it out there because it's something that we've talked about on other episodes and I think it's worth mentioning that there's this trope where kids and in particular little girls are just, like, not believed. And we've talked on other episodes, in particular, I think the Matilda episode about how that might be problematic, especially for yeah. girls who, like, feel like they have a piece information that they want to share with adults and I think some of it is just necessary to create the tension because the beauty of middle grade and young adult books is that like kids 
often have something on the adults and like they have to take matters into their own hands and handle it. But I think sometimes like I think it's a hard balance to strike because you definitely want the kids to know more. And like sometimes there does have to be this tension where like the kid wants to be believed and isn't really getting the reception that they're looking for. Oh, yeah. But I think this book maybe for me pushed it a little bit too far and that like not only did Officer Borsch not believe Sammy, but like <laughs> he just decided that she was a troublemaker. And I think that if oh, you yeah. if you really like take a step back and think about what implications that has for kids and maybe like being comfortable or not sharing information that's scary, like that's not so great. When we get introduced to him, she's like, oh, this is the guy who gave me a ticket for jaywalking. Like they have a history. I think the the line that was underlined on this read was when there's a moment where she finds evidence. There's like this crazy ice cream bar that like before yeah. before this plot point comes up where it's like, oh my God, the, the notes from the burglar are written on the double dime one right. And you're like, what is this community's weird obsession with this ice cream? They love cake? ice cream. <laughs> because just like maybe like every 10 pages, like someone's eating a double dynamo yeah. and you're like, wow, this is the, this is the summer of the double dynamo or whatever. It's like, so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. Like she finds this evidence that it's like, uh, Madam, I wrote down the character name so I won't forget. Madam Nashira, the number of her hotel room is written on the napkin, mm-hmm. and she like presents this evidence to Officer Borsch almost like hesitantly because she's like, oh, "I'd rather do this by my own, but I'm supposed to trust this authority figure." Right. And then he like he just says like, "You're doing this for attention." Yeah. There are a few moments in this book where like the characters' logic and their decisions are so strange and like seem not very realistic, and I think that the author justifies it by saying like she always points out the insecurities of the villains and I think that we're supposed to attribute those lapses in judgment to those insecurities but yeah that moment especially was just like oh my god this is so messed up like what hope is there if you want to trust any sort of authority figure that if you are genuinely trying to help and you find something that you're excited about and you present it to someone you're going to be called a liar or saying that you're just acting out for attention which is just like so condescending yeah I think he pushed back on her just like one too many times for me like I feel like she had enough tension established between the two of them where I was like okay we get it like Sammy's gonna be the hero they need Sammy if they're gonna solve this mystery yeah and then maybe it was like one or two more times I I felt like he kept showing up and being like you stupid little girl like you don't know anything (laughs) which is not that far off from what he actually said like he was a nightmare of a man and so yeah he's like toxic for sure yeah so toxic and I do think that like I think that there's something to be said too about like you want kids to have a positive view of law enforcement which this book does does not necessarily inspire no. <laughs> and I've seen like positive and negative examples of it in some of the books that I've read and I didn't find anything to this effect about this book but there are other books that I've read and the titles are escaping me but there are other books that I've read where like local police stations all over the country have like requested certain school districts like not to have these books in the library oh, that's so interesting because of the portrayals of law enforcement and we all know that I'm not in favor of banning books in any way shape or form but I do wonder if like this inspired any of those kinds of feelings because it's like pretty and it's definitely like a highly negative portrayal of this officer and again part of it is that he's just this like bumbling villain who's like trying to get revenge seemingly on Sammy for jaywalking and like we can take all that with a grain of salt but I do think it's worth pointing out because it's it's not the first time that we've seen something like this in a book intended for kids. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a short-sighted critique of it because it doesn't go all the way and say, like, 
institutions and cops shouldn't be trusted. Like even his partner at the end has like a moment where he finds out what officer Borsch, like how he handled Sammy's involvement in the case. And he like, without saying too much to Sammy, like clearly reacts as if like, that's messed up and you shouldn't have done it and goes and talks to him and gets the evidence that Borsch had kept from his partner. But yeah, no, it only attributes it to kind of like the insecurities of this individual man. Like it doesn't necessarily levy like a critique against policing. (laughs) Like it it underlines that like when we give individuals power, then they can abuse power to seemingly no consequence. And so like what does, it, it does seem like the adults in this world, from what I remember in the other books, like the adults are always the ones committing the crimes. I'd forgotten who the thief was. And when it was Oscar, I was like, oh my God, Oscar the ice cream. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about that, that I'm still trying to work through the fact that it was Oscar the ice cream man. I mean, it kind of like, it's fun and it's lighthearted and and full of intrigue, but it does paint this picture. Like you should not trust adults. But then like at the same time, what I do like about what it ultimately says is that I think in these books often people in Sammy's world have preconceptions about, about certain people. Graham's in the Heavenly Hotel being like, nothing good happens at the Heavenly Hotel. But Sammy befriends Madame Nashira and finds out that like she's actually like a pretty nice interesting person and Graham says that like Sammy's not even allowed to go into her store but then Sammy kind of breaks that rule and learns that like oh this person is nice and more interesting than we gave a chance to I think that like Sammy is weirdly like a very judgmental person that was something that came out a little more clearly in this reading but like ultimately like the friendship she makes with people who maybe would traditionally be cast aside or seem as kooky or not worth talking to like there are redemption for those characters so yeah it's an interesting world of like you will have no idea whether or not you can trust an adult in this world until you get to know them that's a really interesting line to draw I feel like I pulled out one excerpt and some of the character names that are included in this may not ring a bell to listeners who haven't read the book in a while but it doesn't really matter what I think it's important about this particular like paragraph or so is that it sort of shows that Wendland Van Janen was like kind of I think trying to demonstrate that like kids can lean toward empathy like it's not always easy and I like that she's not super prescriptive about it and you'll hear it in this excerpt like she's not trying to say to kids like you must try to have empathy for people it's more like we should all try to feel for each other and walk a mile in everybody else's shoes but it's not always easy and I think that that's what Sammy struggled with here's how it goes I thought about Hudson and Rock and Rick and about things not being what they seem and I thought about other people I know like Mrs. Graybill and Officer Borsch and wondered again why they were the way they were and if maybe they had secret lives as nice people I also thought about Gina and TJ and what being them would be like. But after a while, I started thinking about having to go to school the next day and what I was going to do about Heather Acosta. And the more I thought about Heather and her stupid Help Heal Heather fund, the more I wanted to get back to school and straighten things out. Trouble is, I didn't have a clue how. So it's like Sammy understands that there's so much more than she realizes that happens in people's lives, which is an important lesson for everybody to learn. I think she understands that like she needs to figure out how to have empathy although she's not using that specific word but she's also admitting that like I don't really know how to deal with these situations and as a kid maybe I don't have to like maybe I have to figure it out and I'm not saying that the way she ends up handling Heather is like (laughs) 
the way that I, the way that everybody should be dealing with their problems, although it is hilarious. Yeah. But I think that's sort of like one of the overarching themes that I picked up on was like, like you said, things are not always what they appear. And if we can just like take baby steps toward understanding each yeah. other, like maybe that's good enough, even if we don't get it totally. right all the time. I think that that's also what makes this as like the lead book of a series so compelling because though there are those baby steps I can't believe there's 18 of these books but I, that's like totally a genre that I've almost abandoned my adulthood is serialized fiction yeah but I found myself so many times in this book excited about the idea of this world being so much bigger because I think Wendelin Van Drannen does such a great job of planting those little seeds even with Heather Acosta like the few moments of redemption that she does have or like like the insecurities we do see, like it is almost like a Paris Geller where you're like, maybe this character could have a turn and become more complex than we think. Or like uh, Marissa's cousin, Brandon, you're like, what's his deal? It's clear that like Sammy probably has a crush on this person, but like doesn't know how to verbalize or understand that in her own head. Just like the people who get mentioned briefly and don't have their time are just like such nice little seeds planted that I, I think yeah, with those little s- small nudges towards the right direction, like make you excited to read the next book because maybe in the next book we get we get to hear more about Hudson or we get to hear more about Brandon or all these people that we're we're meeting in this book. Well, to that point, here's a fun fact that you might find interesting that I stumbled upon. So, Wendelin Van Dran had been writing these books for like years before she even tried to sell them. <sighs> Like she had four books, I think. My understanding, I mean, if there's an agent or an editor that's associated with these books out there listening, (laughs) I'm sorry if this isn't exactly right. But by the time the books got to Random House, they had actually already, they bought four books and I think most of them were finished. Um, And then they also asked her to finish the series. But I found a quote from her that was basically like, I did it a little bit differently than a lot of other authors. A A lot of other authors will like write something and try to place it. But like once I started writing about Sammy, I just wanted to keep going that's so cool (laughs) because she was a teacher and so like she got into this world of the kids and she just like kept going and then my assumption would be that at a certain point she was like oh like maybe I should actually see if somebody (laughs) would want to read these but yeah she just kind of like got into the spirit of writing the story and and then everything else fell into place which I think kind of speaks to what you're talking about where it just like it feels very natural to want to keep reading these books in the same way that maybe it seemed very natural to her to want to keep writing them. I think it comes through just that for our protagonists and the people who love her, like there's so much care towards those characters and the relationships they have with each other. And yeah, I think that I think that that's what I was always drawn to is that like Sammy was an instigator and kind of like kind of annoying honestly like she's she she like takes pride in kind of pushing it a little further and pushing people and just like prying up things that maybe are honestly none of her business but what kept making her like so uh, charming to me was just like the love she had for the people who mattered for her in her life and I think that that's like there there aren't a lot of series like I wasn't even a mystery novel fan necessarily like I didn't read Nancy Drew I didn't read Babysitter's Club when I was growing up but this one particularly I was just like completely drawn into and I think it is that reason that yeah she's annoying and she often does things that like 
I, yeah, I would never punch my bully in the face because she pricked me with a pin. Like, and then, and then feels so, she feels so justified in it too. She's right. like, well, she deserved to be punched in the face. Right. I was like, oh my God. So you <laughs> ask my friend for money. Like, yeah, I'm going to punch you in the face. Especially if you like finish it with poking me with a safety pin. It's like very extreme. Like a truly shocking action scene, like two thirds of the way through the book where it's described that she's holding her bully's face over an escalator. <laughs> One of my favorite movies is Point Break. And there's a moment where Keanu Reeves is, his head is being like held over a, like an active lawnmower with his face getting closer and closer to the blades going. And like, that's exactly, that's exactly how it feels. This action scene is that Sammy Keys is holding Heather Acosta's face like inches from, and she's like, I just want to grind her little nose into the stairs. I'm like, oh my God. It's pretty dark actually. Yeah. Yeah. So she acts differently than I ever would, but like, I still, that character feels so fully realized that it is kind of like the cult of personality of Sammy that made me want to keep returning to those books and those stories more than the plots or uh, necessarily like what's going to happen with Lady Lana or anything. Right. I was just like, I just want to live in Sammy's world in another book. I don't know if the answer to this question even matters and we can even (laughs) debate that. And if it matters, it might actually sort of be counterintuitive the way that it matters, if that makes sense. I'll just ask the question and then you can tell me. (laughs) Do we think Sammy is like a reliable narrator? Interesting. That is really interesting. You know what? Like, I I think when I'm reading it, it feels like I trust her perspective. But like, as an adult woman, after the fact, like thinking of kind of how the plot falls into place. No, I don't think she is. But I think like, I think that that's purposeful. Because it feels like when you reflect on a situation that or like a strong emotion you had in middle school or something. And like now with the knowledge of hindsight and being older and more mature you're like oh that could have been solved so easy if I just like understood this one thing about people I think like the clearest example of why she might not be a reliable narrator is that she is very judgmental of things she doesn't understand but we get the opportunity in the books to see her gain more understanding very similar to the passage that that you quoted earlier so yeah no I I think that she is kind of she's so from the gut and Mm -hmm. so much of her actions and I think that when you are so from the gut like you're taking a bunch of swings and you're gonna miss a lot of them but like I think that like what's redeemable about her is that she she does have great instincts and those instincts get her into trouble and we see the fallout of those but she's unreliable but it's so entertaining and fulfilling to see her make all those mistakes of judgment and action and everything because like she's also a person who wants to learn and be better and I guess also to some extent like depending on what exactly your definition of unreliable is like separate from the way we read adult books probably like a first person narrator in almost any middle grade or YA book (laughs) is technically unreliable because yes yeah every kid is like trying to learn a lot of stuff they don't necessarily have like a consistent perspective about things yeah there's just a lot of feelings going on and that doesn't make any of it wrong there's just a lot of learning and like a lot of evolution going on and so when I say that she might be an unreliable narrator, I, I actually think in some ways it might be like a positive thing in terms of the way the book is written because it's so clear that it's coming from the perspective of a middle schooler. And so I kind of yeah. like that it feels unsure. I yeah. kind of like that I'm unsure about like how clearly she's seeing things because that's absolutely how I would have felt about any of these situations when I was in totally. seventh grade. And I think it being written by 
an adult who, like, as a teacher, understands children. I think that those blind spots are often pretty, like, uh, well communicated to the reader. As an adult reading those books now, like, you can tell when an observation of Sammy's is maybe a little short-sighted or maybe, like, missing the big picture and a little too narrowly focused. Yeah, that was definitely, like, reading that I had to remind myself. It's like, Oh, like, just because Sammy thinks something doesn't mean it's, like, morally... It's, like, it's not the truth of the world or, like, the truth even of how the author sees the world. Like, you do put on this, like, filter of being, like, a 13-year-old girl over all the observations and about the characters and the world around her. I wish I could remember how I was interpreting it when I was closer to her age. If I was, like, yeah, of course, that's that's what it is. Or if I was, like, I don't know, Sammy, seems like seems like maybe you're being a little too harsh on this person Maybe right you now. should think about this again (laughs) yeah it's so funny her first impressions of characters because like even with heather acosta like she nails so much how stupid she thinks it is that she has piercings and dyed hair and i'm like i don't know sammy like like what exactly do you think this means about a person like intellectually i know that Wendelin van drennan doesn't think that like if you have piercings then it's a cry for help or like it's like Right. You're, you care too much about what people think about you, and that's why you've altered your exterior, which I think is, like, a pretty short-sighted way of sussing people out. Totally. And even, like, another thing that—this is also true in Harry Potter when I did a reread of that recently. Just, like, the weird, weird lying of, like, being fat means that you are bad or either villainous or foppish or, like, unreliable. Like, those things kind of, I think, peaked out to me. I think that those were, like, the most offending details on the reread was that like there's a lot of value placed on like judging people's physical appearance that's not really tied to circumstance or reality I was like oh no there's like a mysticism element with Gina the character who gets robbed at the Heavenly Hotel where the way she wrote about her appearance was like dabbling and like oh she's like I think the word gypsy is used I think it might be used if it's not used it comes like like, very close to being used (laughs) yeah yeah and I'm just like okay like definitely through the lens of now it feels like there's like such an emphasis on how people physically appear to Sammy and a judgment kind of associated with that but I think kind of like the counterpoint of that is just like how big of a theme of people's appearances not being necessarily a good indicator of who they are what their intentions are but it it was interesting I, I did wish there was like less of that on this read yeah, I made it a note of it in particular with um, Marissa's younger brother. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, I mean, it sort of signals that he's, like, poorly behaved. But so Sammy's best friend Marissa has a younger brother named Mikey. And pretty much any time he appears in the book, there's an emphasis on not only the fact that he, like, loves junk food and eats junk food any chance he gets, but also I'm pretty sure the word fat is used every time. Like, his parents yeah. describe him as fat. His sister describes him as fat, and he's not, like, a quote-unquote bad guy in the book, but he's definitely not supposed to be read as, like, well-behaved. I mean, he's sort of mischievous. He's, like, cutting school one day to go find snacks, and... And he's, like, clumsy, and... Yeah, he's just, like, not... Annoying. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing particularly, like adorable about him I would say even with the police officers I'm pretty sure officer Borsch is fat and like yeah the other is described as such like right almost every time yeah every time and then police officer that ends up being really nice is really skinny and yeah 
There's yeah. just a lot made of that. It doesn't age well. Again, you know, I think some of it is just a factor of the time. I think part of it, too, is that, like, kids laugh at stuff like that. And yeah. It's, like, cartoonish almost. Like, cartoony, like, shorthands for, like, comedic types. Right. And I don't think that's acceptable anymore. I hope that it's going out of style. I think as I grow older, because I still, like, have such a, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this, but I still have such a fascination with media that's for children and, mm-hmm. like, and kind of the the role it plays. Yeah. And, and, like, a big thing is, like, seeing a kid's movie being, like, what, is this something that I would, like, have enthusiasm showing like my kid one day into the spider-verse I was like I can't wait to have like a a tween (laughs) I don't even know if I want kids but like I can't wait to have a tween that I can show this movie and be like this rocks we both love this like you're like if uh, I have kids it's only so I can take them to see into the spider-verse honestly that is like the leading motivation (laughs) because I have so many books and movies I'd want to show those kids but with this it was like kind of sad because it was so integral to my childhood but like just like thinking of like being a little girl who's insecure about her weight or feels like a little bigger chubbier than like her best friend or like people in her grade or like maybe someone's even been mean to her about it before like to read those character descriptions and be like I'm a joke like I'm a joke or this is my fault or this is like what people will define me by like that did make me a little sad and it was like I was like, I hope I hope that this lessens up in other books in the series and maybe and there's even a part of me that was like, maybe I'm just too sensitive to it because I I know to look for it now and understand those biases, but like that weirdly was like the one thing that I was like, I'd have to really think about introducing this to like someone younger or like if, if I did, like I'd want to have a discussion about it. Like that was maybe the one element of this that that kind of bumped me. That's always the struggle with the show and every time I read one of these books and I've talked about it with a bunch of different guests and I really appreciate your take on it because I always love to hear what people have to say sort of about this generally where it's like um, I, yeah, t- I think I talked yeah. to Kevin about this a bit on the Holes episode that you were mentioning you would listen to it's like how much should we be analyzing how much should we be like advocating we quote unquote cancel um, <laughs> because it's upsetting or problematic or like no longer fits in with our overall values and how much do we just have to like accept as what was and sort of laugh about it and move on and I think there's a balance and I am fascinated by all of this which is obviously why I started the podcast and I don't think that a few references like this you know about weight in a book that I generally loved as a kid are enough of a reason to be like nobody should ever read this again oh totally yeah but it is upsetting and I think it's worth talking about because I think it helps generate conversation about like the books that are being written now like what Mm -hmm. should creators maybe be mindful of that could potentially not age so well in 5, 10, 15, 20 years because things are always going to be changing like we're going to have a whole separate set of things that we want to cancel in a decade yeah that we have we can't even anticipate now but it is worth talking about just because I think like we can still respect like how creative and wonderful this book is and also be like "Mm, that's a little awkward that it's still here I hate the the binary of like yes it's good or like or like no one thing is wrong and we need to throw it away I think in this circumstance it's it's completely understandable and like almost like reflected in the fact that like that was the one thing that stuck out to me in the Harry Potter read too and they're kind of from the same they're like both released around 1998 yeah you know like Mm -hmm. uh and even like yeah thinking of I feel like Roald Dahl also did a little bit of that with his characters and his villains is like their physical appearance being unseemly 
means that they're morally bad or because they don't fit into this kind of these characteristics. But ultimately, I don't think it's egregious and it's in what it is in this book. But if anything, as an adult, it was just enlightening to be like, oh, yeah, like that's how a culture builds itself up. Like is these like little almost insinuations that just like when you're reading these books, you're learning about the world around you. It was almost like the fact that I hadn't even remembered that as standing out to me as a kid. I was like, oh, that's why it's nefarious. That's why it's nefarious. It's because it is so slight and small. Yeah. But yeah, I think ultimately like it didn't ruin this book and it didn't solely like my enjoyment of it. It was just like something that eked out to me. And I was like, that's that's so interesting and like make, made me reflect on the role it played when I was that age and like wondering if any of it carried over. Like, But the, it's so balanced with other things about that world. The, the other valuable lessons that Sammy learns throughout the book of just like class and just because someone like lives in this slummy hotel doesn't mean that they are a slummy bad person like there's so many different world building lessons that sammy learns that i do think it is balanced out i agree i do want to know what you think about this we touched on it briefly oscar so we haven't talked a lot about the mystery itself because ultimately it's not that important jossie referred to this earlier but like the mystery isn't terribly complicated there's a thief. Sammy sees the thief through the window at her grandma's apartment. She decides that she wants to figure out who the thief was because the thief has yeah. taken money from Gina. There are a bunch of, like, you know, bad instincts on her part. It takes her a little time to figure it out. But ultimately, the thief is Oscar, who is the ice cream man, who, until the very end of the book, everybody believes is blind and almost deaf. Mm-hmm. And Sammy figures out that it's him because she goes to the roof of the mall and sees that he's, like, cleaning his glasses but also because in talking to Gina she realizes that like Gina had been talking with a friend when Oscar was in earshot and like telling her about how she had a lot of money in her room at the hotel and like needed to make sure she moved it to a bank because it was making her uncomfortable and like Gina had just sort of assumed it didn't matter that Oscar was there because Oscar is deaf and mm-hmm. and it just like there were a lot of things about it that made me uncomfortable again like not to overstate it you know I, I really enjoyed reading the book I loved it as a kid but there was something about that whole solution to the problem that kind of rubbed me the wrong way as an adult. Like, I just didn't like the fact that, like, there were all of these other suspects that actually seemed like they had motives. And, like, I thought that Sammy had cracked the case a couple of times because, like, they kind of seemed like bad guys. Yeah. And ultimately the person who was the thief was this person who, like, to that point, Sammy and her friend had actually thought was, like, struggling with some serious challenges. And it's like, no, yeah. this person's actually just lying to you. Like, this person is neither blind yeah. nor deaf. Like, this was all a lie so that they could steal your money. And I don't know. I think... I think it sort of, like, breeds a distrust, as you mentioned. Like, a little bit of, like, you know, there are people out there, like, preying on your sympathy so that they can get what you want. Like, that kind of didn't age so well for me, but maybe that's just, like, a personal thing. I mean, like, this is, like, kind of, uh, this is kind of, like definitely not the same thing but it's like I'm a big Dawson's Creek fan and I can't explain why but that show and I discovered it like four years ago like it's not even like from my childhood it's fine I'm just discovering One Tree Hill now and I'm I have such a fondness for it and I've only been watching it for a couple of months so I totally am tracking with you you kind of get that baked in nostalgia with it yeah and for the most part like the places in that series where they just like make the wrong choice I find like very entertaining but there's one plot line where they choose to focus on like one of the characters who's 
like a character we like lies about being like sexually assaulted to get the attention of another character we really like and like weirdly of all the errors and missteps in that show which are a reason why that that show is beloved to me because i'm just like it's fascinating that this is where they went with it like that's kind of the one that makes me the saddest because it's like when you focus on the exception to the rule in something that like affects people's lives so seriously like regardless of the seriousness of that individual it's like they, they explain the character's intentions and motivation i don't think it's handled well in dawson's creek but at the same time yeah like shedding light on a circumstance where people are trying to take advantage of the fact that you are trying to be accommodating and understanding to those who go through something like that like right it's it's kind of like yeah like morally this is gonna rub me the wrong way because if someone walks away from that being like oh yeah then it's more common than you think that someone would that, that's the most shocking thing about that reveal I was like it was the long con aspect of yeah. it where it's like okay Oscar has planted himself in this community just by wearing different wigs and so right. he can yeah it's like petty cat burglary even in our introduction to that character earlier on before I'd remembered that he was ultimately the thief Sammy was like she found a moment where she was just like so drawn in with the magic of how he'd right. still eked this living out for himself it's like look you can't give him a bill larger than a dollar because like he can't tell the bills apart but like he knows the size of coins and he has this coin dispenser that he does so quickly and it's like impressive and you're like yeah like this person functions in this society just as well as anyone else and it is kind of like undermined by that reveal and it was one of those things that bothered me but ultimately I was like well I guess that's the point of this book is that people are not as they seem and so I was like I guess this is the person the loose end that would be the most surprising yeah rather than like Hudson's renter who ends up being like the popular radio (laughs) cool DJ guy yeah rock and Rick the coolest (laughs) DJ the whole town yeah like I, I was like oh this feels like it's more it was more done as a way to come out of left field than yeah, that's anything fair. that was like thoughtful towards the the plot. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Gwendolyn Van Jan was just trying to like solve it in a surprising way. She clearly wasn't trying to make like some broader social commentary. It just like made me feel dirty. I just don't like when yeah. like somebody's difficult and often you know, out of control circumstances are villainized. Um, Jossie, I'm curious, on the whole, did yeah. coming back to Sammy Keys now, did it make you love her all the more? Did it sort of not hold up for you? I know we've talked about some of the specific situations where mm-hmm. it maybe failed us a little bit, but generally speaking, do you feel like you still love it, love it more, or has it maybe been even ruined a little bit? I think ultimately, I think that this character is so well-drawn and specific and has so many unique details to her life that make her like such a fascinating person to be dropped in the perspective of. I still felt that as an adult and kind of like had the understanding that that's what maybe drew me in when I was younger. Mm-hmm. That like I I think I had like a deepened appreciation for this world. I think what what draws me in and makes me think that it is still like a valuable series for young adults today is kind of like how charming that stars hollow-esque community around her is and all these different types of people and characters in her community and like how it's like that that world feels very small but reading it it always made me feel like even my small world is so big and so exciting and magical just knowing like 
I think of that scene where she's on the mall looking at people with her binoculars and like every little vignette she sees is, is like this exciting opportunity or a clue or something. And just like the ability to see the world like that, like to understand that everyone is living their own life and like everyone is more interesting than maybe they appear. You can either just blow past it or you can focus in. And I love that Sammy often focuses in to her benefit or detriment. So I think I still love it. Like it still inspires that feeling of possibility and potential and finding magic in your small community. Yeah, I think it still has value and it made me want to check out the next book like at the library, which I truly like remember to this day, there is a scene in, I think it's Sammy Keys and the Skeleton Man. It is. You nailed it. I have the whole list of titles and that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, you got it. There is like a minor plot point in that book, I believe, where Sammy makes someone vomit by combining coffee and salt. Oh. And to this day, I cannot like, I had like a sea salt caramel latte at a coffee shop once and it almost made me, it like activated my gag reflex. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know if this is wrong like I don't know if they're wrong to be selling this or it's so ingrained in me from that book is this a Sammy Keys thing or is this a me thing <laughs> yeah it was like it's been 15 years since I read that book like it's crazy that it's still so powerful but yeah I, I think that like it gets my co-sign like it was so exciting to revisit it and I honestly kind of packed it away in my brain and in my history it's not a character that I often think about but yeah revisiting it I was like I love that I had this I love that I had this character at the age that I was and that it excited me so much that I wanted to tear through whichever books I could find at my library yeah and it, it makes me excited that maybe that character is more fleshed out or more available in current media because like she does have elements of like being not like the other girls yeah. but I don't think that it's super dwelled upon like her her main nemesis is just like a mean girl at her school who they really have no reason to not like each other other than just both being different kinds of girls (laughs) like yeah so like stuff like that I'm like this feels half-baked or something at this point but yeah no I still really I I love this world and I'm I was very excited to get the chance to kind of live in it for a little bit and also the books are so breezy and quick Mm -hmm. and yeah I, I also really appreciated that I think she also probably gets more fleshed out in the later books and maybe some of the things that rubbed me the wrong way I would feel differently about if I kept going in the series because I read quite a bit of the other books and so Mm -hmm. yeah I agree I think it's a great read I'm so happy I had the whole series as a kid it was really fun to come back to it I just think some of the things that bugged me are things that it's probably good that we're questioning them now we just read things differently now and that's perfectly natural so um, I'm glad we had a chance to come back to it I'm curious if you've been reading anything else lately other than Sammy Keys that you would recommend to our listeners they're always looking to add to their to be read piles this is fun for me because like I, it's been so long since I returned to fiction and so I'm actually really ex- I've, I have like a list of fiction books that I'm excited to read but one of my favorite books that I've read recently is actually a non-fiction book called How Music Got Free Cool. and it's kind of a book in the style of the big short uh, where it, it takes a look at a big cultural shift mm. Uh, In this case, it's about the transition of music from being analog and in CDs to like LimeWire and Napster and digital. I think like truly a beautifully written and executed nonfiction book where it kind of follows three plot lines that track the transition from CDs to 
or even just like vinyls to what we call an mp3 file and like one is like the european scientists who are literally creating the mp3 file format something that made no sense to me before reading this book even like contemplating file formats and right. inventing them was like, <laughs> like true, truly overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then one is about this guy who worked at a Columbia Columbia Records CD pressing factory, hmm. who is personally responsible for like the leaks of thousands and thousands of songs because he would physically smuggle highly anticipated CD releases and release the MP3 files into like a pirates network. Oh my gosh! And like truly like. I was like, oh, my God, my copy of Biddy Sense Into Club probably came directly from this guy putting the CD in his pocket. Like, as someone who came into, like, listening to music around the era of this whole, like, digital explosion. Right. And then I think the third plot line was uh, an executive who was like, we are hemorrhaging money because people can get music for free now. How do we get control back over the music industry where we're actually getting paid for it Hmm. and it's the executive who created vivo like uh, monetizing people uploading music videos and songs to youtube and getting ads on those so the labels still see money for the music even though people expect it to be free now as i've always been like a casual music fan and like i've always enjoyed music criticism and music writing but never really felt like on the in community of it or felt like a an expert by any means and I just found it to be truly such a great, fascinating book that made me like feel so passionately about this weird music revolution that happened in the beginning of the 2000s that I'd never even really thought was novel or unique or worth uh, analyzing at that level. And uh, it's so fascinating. I'd love if more people read it because it really changed my mind about it just made it, it made something that seemed straightforward feel so magical and crazy and full of drama so I highly recommend it that's so cool I'm trying to read more nonfiction, so I'm going to add it to my list also yeah, and it sounds like really interesting to, we're trying to switch you're trying to get a nonfiction. Yeah. I'm trying to revisit fiction yeah. yeah we should be trading recommendations on a more yeah, ongoing absolutely. basis that sounds really good <laughs> yeah. I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes for this episode for those who want to check it out I will also of course include a link to Sammy Keys and the Hotel Thief specifically because as I mentioned there's 18 so if you want to start <laughs> with the first one check out the show notes I'll include the link to the book that we just discussed Jossie thank you so much for taking the time to come back to Sammy Keys with me I really had a lot of fun talking with you about it I feel like we probably could have talked about it for another hour or so maybe yeah. maybe we'll do that again off mic but um it was really nice chatting with you and I appreciate your time yeah this was so fun I love getting any opportunity to feel like I'm back in a high school literature class <laughs> and talking too much in the discussion <laughs> which is a, a true home spot for me so thank you so much Allie for having me well and these are way more fun books than I at least got to talk about in my high school oh, yeah. literature classes so that's a plus too <laughs> absolutely bye Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hello at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.